Welcome to the Trevor Turnbull Show, where you'll hear vulnerable, honest stories that will inspire you to embrace your mess and live your best life. Welcome to the show, everyone. My guest today is Dwight Heck. So Dwight and I met only a couple of months ago through a group that I've joined on Monday evenings. It's called Mentorship Mondays. And it's really an amazing community where a bunch of men get together, usually about a dozen people or so. And, you know, we have a a grounding of some, you know, breathing, some meditation, as well as just uh, creating a space for everybody to just share what's going on in their life. So it's a place to really pick people up. It's a place to celebrate wins. It's a place to just be surrounded by other guys uh, that's safe, vulnerable, honest, truthful, and it's just such a great community of people. And Dwight is one of the people that I met through this group. And we had a conversation about three weeks ago just a Zoom call. And during that chat, I was like, man, I got to get you on my podcast. There were so many great topics that we talked about. And we did end up addressing them here. You know, not always on an interview do you get into all of the same depth of what you do on a separate conversation. Like you walk away from it and you're like, oh man, I wish we would have recorded that. But we really did get into some amazing topics here today, talking about, you know, the education system and how there's a lack of teaching around emotional intelligence and financial planning and relationship building and some of these foundational skills that we need as human beings to really get by in this world and to thrive in this world. So we talked about the education system. We talked about some of the gaps that are there. We talked about, you know, the whole idea of like, if you are a business owner or an entrepreneur, how some people might look at you when you've made it financially or when, you know, on the surface, it appears as though you're ultra successful and say, man, you're lucky. We talked about luck. And Dwight has an amazing story that he heard from a guy way back in like the mid 90s talking about luck. And I can't wait for you to hear about that. And, you know, diving into the last series of questions, it's always really eye-opening when we talk about the one thing, the mentors in our lives, the philanthropic uh, causes that we're committed to, the gratefulness, all that kind of stuff. And Dwight is just such an insightful guy. I think you're really going to appreciate, again, his vulnerability, his willingness to speak up and and tell the truth, his, um, you know, openness to realize that it's still a journey, right? He hasn't figured all this out, but he does have a really grounded mission in supporting other people to live their greatest lives, to be financially free, to make the right decisions based on their values and how they want to ultimately spend every single day of their lives. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Dwight. Let's go ahead and give it a listen. Mr. Dwight Heck. Welcome to the Trevor Turnbull Show. Good to see you, my friend. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you having me on. Good to see you as well. Yeah, of course. We were uh, just chatting for a good 15 minutes before we actually flipped the record button here. We always have such good conversations, lots of different directions to go with them and stuff too. And, um, you know, like I mentioned to you, um, I have a theme for, for this podcast. And essentially what that is, is th- there's a quote by Brene Brown that says, One day you will tell your story of how you overcame what you went through, and it will be somebody else's survival guide. So I'll just ground us in that to kind of start with, because my whole intention of this is really to just have amazing conversations with really great people that, you know, have been through all different scenarios of life, 
the highs and the lows and where they are right now is, you know, choosing to believe in possibility and, you know, seeing things for exactly what they are and knowing that you can get to the other side, no matter what it is you go through. So we've had some great conversations and obviously you and I met through a men's group. So there's a Monday call that we go to. Uh, So I think I've seen you now probably at least a half a dozen times in the last couple of months. And, uh, you know, always just really appreciated the the vulnerability that you show up with and and the honesty that you have in the way that you communicate and was just looking forward to having this chat with you. So why don't we actually just start really quickly? You want to just do the, uh, you know, the, the two minute bio of who is Dwight? Give me the background history here and then I'll, I'll start firing some question at, questions at you as well. Sure. As a side note, I love Brene Brown too. Yes. Just so you know. I saw her Netflix special and it literally like it was one of the things that just became the catalyst, like something that I else. haven't seen it. It's I'm going to really have great. to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the, about two thirds of the way through. Is it, I always forget the name wrong. Defying Greatly. Is that the one? Defying it's greatly. amazing. Yeah. Okay. It's a new book. It's a fairly yeah. new book of hers. Oh, okay. And yeah, I, yeah. I got the, I got the audible and she actually narrates it. It's amazing. Nice. But anyway, so as for the listeners, Renee Brown rocks. So <laughs> I'll link it up. Two-minute bio on Dwight. Let's see. I was born. Anyway. <laughs> How far back do we want to go? We were just talking about our roots and where we grew up and families and all uh, that. So. I grew up as a child, a sickly kid, I guess. Um, don't need to talk too much about it. Asthma, allergies, no such thing as an asthma inhaler. Love sports, but I couldn't do a lot of it because I'd get sick. My dad um, grew up, I grew up in the Camrose, a small farming community. My dad owned a farm equipment implement dealership, very, very successful entrepreneur, very well respected in our community, Um, not just the local cameras community, but the farming community. And I seen my dad and what he was able to achieve. And I, I didn't realize at the time how much relationship building I learned from my father and how he communicated with farmers. No offense to farmers. But you guys are either too ha- either mad, not enough rain, or you're <laughs> you're you're peeled because there's too much rain. Love you. Mo- a lot of my relatives are farmers. Have a lot of good friends that are farmers. But I seen a- I seen my dad navigate the waters of how to deal and build relationships. And I realized as I got older, you know, again, I spent a lot of time with him. I worked with him. I started working with him when I was about 12, 13 years of age because I couldn't do other things. So get out of bed. You're not sitting around for the summer. You're coming to work. And I learned when I became an adult, looking back at it, how many life lessons I learned from my dad, that relationships are key and that, you know, you need to control certain things in your life and how you deal with people because being reactive doesn't solve anything didn't mean that after the fact when situations happened that he didn't vent because you need to sometimes vent but it doesn't mean you need to do it at the time sometimes you need to you know i say this to people and they laugh sometimes you need to you know just keep things inside it's better to be thought an idiot than to open your mouth and remove all doubt (laughs) and right so i grew up that way and as i as i was growing up i wanted to have my own business because my dad right and I got to a point where I've, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've had had a few different businesses, successful businesses. And fast forward through all of that, though, one of the things my dad didn't teach me because of that generation, he didn't teach me the rules of the money game. There were certain circumstances where he sat me in his office and I seen him do, he wanted me to hear. I think it was more of, a, you know, showing his kid that he's really successful. And I heard 
large trades, trades of money, seven figures. You know, and he have this kind of a smile on his face as I'm sitting there in awe. It's just like I'm first time that ever happened to me. I was 16, and I realized what I wanted to do in life. I needed to understand my dad, but again, he didn't teach me the rules in a money game because those generations would, you know, don't talk about money, and they still think that right. Yep. And that yep. tra- that propagated to their generate next generations, and and it's still propagating down to a point that. And all of a sudden, I'm married, living in quiet desperation. Couldn't sleep at night because of money issues and not understanding if I'm going to be able to pay bills. And it got steadily worse. Ended up getting separated, divorced. Fast forward that, I became a single dad of my five kids. They were living with me full time. And I'd go to bed at night and not understand how I was going to pay bills. And I had just started into the finance industry. I left the computer IT industry. I had a consulting firm for nine years, just about a decade, very successful. Um, But it was burning me out. And I got contacted and said, hey, you should get into the finance industry. We're going to help you learn about money. You could use it. (laughs) And And with your skills, we want you to teach others because you're great with people. You're good at building relationships. And I didn't think I was, but, you know, okay, whatever. It still took me a few years for it to sink in. Because they talked the game, but they didn't know how to teach me it. So I basically had to learn it over the next couple of years, and then I started teaching it. And that's my whole mission in life is to teach people how to live life on purpose, not by accident. And I guess and for, for the listeners, some people may not get it, but an elevator pitch, when people ask me what I do, I help. my goal is to help you live life better today, right? Retire in comfort and die with dignity. That is my whole goal because really nobody teaches any of that. They shy away from that, the concept and conversation of money. Retirement is foopaw conversation. It is. And nobody wants to talk about, hey, what happens if you die? Right? <laughs> so there's lots of details in between. But that's basically where I am today is I've been in finance for 19 years. And, and that's basically what I do is help people live life on purpose, not by accident. Nice. I love it. You just brought up two other things that I want to address with you in our time here together. I was, when I was coming into the office here to do this interview with you, you know, I ended up being about five minutes late and because there's one bridge in Kelowna and if there's traffic on it, well, there's no way around it. But I was actually listening back on the last conversation that we had because we were kind of joking around about this before we hopped on too. Like I do a ton of Zoom calls and pretty much all of them are recorded just by default. So just to prepare and remind myself, because, you know, when when you and I talked last time, I was like, dude, I should have you on my podcast. And I was like, let me go back and, and find those like key points that we were talking about that we can come back to, right? And you just reminded me, one of them is around the school system and the fact that, you know, we didn't learn this stuff growing up. And for me, I know like what you just brought up for me was... I kind of joke about it now, but it's been stuff that I've actually dove into and done a lot of personal development work on, but like... When I was growing up as a kid, we we didn't we weren't poor by any means. We were very, you know, middle class. We had everything that we wanted. You know, my my mom and dad, um, you know, they got the boat when we were young so that we'd have the great experience out at the lake and stuff. And I still remember my dad saying to me, you know, um, well, we can't afford this, but hey, it's the Turnbull way to be in debt. And that just stuck with me for years and years and years. And then even into university. When I had accounting classes and finance classes and that type of thing, I kind of pushed them to the side because I was like, oh, I'm not good at that stuff. I'll just go do the marketing. And then I just loaded my, my class load with marketing classes 
graduated with a marketing degree, but had no intention of going and getting a job in Toronto at some agency. And I felt inequipped to actually get out into the world, to be honest. And I ended up in sales just by default because of what you were just saying, which, you know, and there's a lot to unpack here, but like you talk about the financial space and how you support people and stuff. It really comes down to the relationships. And I know that's how I've been able to be successful in sales is that I'm personable. I I listen to people. I can you know, empathize and at the same time, enroll people into the greatest versions of themselves. And I didn't even see it back then, those skills that I had, but there's just so much I can relate to with what you said there. And the school system is one, like as far, let, let's talk about that for a second. Because, you know, I told you last time we chatted too, that um, we're taking our family down to Costa Rica within the next like year and a half, Right. And part of that decision, a major part of it, was to get our kids into a place where we can enroll them into a school environment where they're learning emotional intelligence, where they're when they're doing their physical activity, it's with them in board shorts going surfing, not having to spend thousands of dollars and put them in hockey equipment and drive them all over the country. And, you know, I'm reflecting some of my own childhood here, but the school was the big, big factor in us saying, let's do it. So... I'm sure a lot of stuff's coming up for you because I know if anybody's listening here, Dwight's got opinions on stuff. And (laughs) that's one of the things (laughs) I really appreciate about you, though, is that, you know, you say what's in in your head, but it comes from a place of experience and, uh, you know, humbleness and in the sense that you're there to just help people see things differently. So what comes up for you with regards to schooling? Well, our school system really North America and most of the world. I know there is some unique experiences in different countries. Most of our school systems all over Europe, all over North America, South America are broken in different different varying degrees. But the number one thing that our school system's broken about, and I know it irritates teachers and people that work in the school system when I talk about it, but too bad. The truth hurts sometimes. Well, hey, my sister's a principal in a school and has her MBA and I have the utmost respect for her and how she does what she does. So I hear you, you know, like I respect the teachers and what they do and commit to that said, and I'll let you continue. Well, it's, it's <laughs> broke. It was, well, it's, it's severely broken because, and you talk about the fact of your kids being on board shorts and going out and being, you know, surfing, whatever body surfing doesn't really matter. We teach kids very methodical processed, systems that are broken that have been taught for let's say a hundred years or longer that don't involve the six inches between our ears it's very mechanical and they figure that everybody learns it the same way that everybody needs to learn the same information i don't need to know that cutting open a worm and dissecting it as internal body works or or seeing a pig fetus or any of the other stupid ass shit they teach us in (laughs) The school system in high school, that doesn't help me. I want our kids to learn about self and personal development. I want them to learn how to communicate with people. I want them to learn how to internalize the strife that they have in their brain that's causing them so much grief. And they just don't teach that. And then on top of all of that, you look at the fact of you know, the, the money game. What's taught in regards to the money game? Absolutely nothing. So kids come out, they have a stupid-ass course called Calm, which is completely useless in in Alberta. I don't know about Saskatchewan, BC, and places like that. But they basically, kids need to understand that 
here's the amount of money you need. They need to do, they need to teach them first and foremost, I'd say at about grade nine, 10, they can teach them the basics of something called budgeting. Ooh, scary word. People get all upset about that word. You know what? Living life on purpose is knowing that if you have a dollar, you shouldn't spend a dollar 20. Right? There you go. Needing and understanding the differences in school, they need to teach them because I taught my kids the differences between something called a need and a want. And here, listeners, here's the thing a dollar, a dollar 20. You're going to need to spend a dollar 20 because all of a sudden there's a need. The vehicle breaks down, takes you to work. Hot water heater goes, furnace goes, kids need new pair of shoes. Sometimes you have to use credit. Buying a house. Most of us in this country would never, or any country would never buy a house if it wasn't for credit. So there's, there's, there's times when you need to use credit and you can use it smart, but you need to understand the rules of the money game. So if you budget it and know that it's your month is going to be this amount and you have this amount. And if you break even that is broke, that is okay. What's what, what's wrong is absolute broke. Meaning you spent a dollar 20, you only had a dollar. It was a want. And you didn't understand the difference between needs and wants. And you spend your whole life on that hamster wheel. And we're, and our parents don't know how to teach us. We will learn it. And then we don't propagate and teach it, right? And let's be real. Do all kids listen to their parents? Heck no. Look at my own kids, right? Look at my kids. Look, They're look, still look young, what, too. <laughs> look, what I, look what I do. And, and you know what? I maybe have one of my kids that actually process and understands what I do and follows the process because everybody has to learn it themselves, skin their knees and trip. But if it started in school by a third party person, a teacher doing it, and they started them on that baby step process all the way up to graduation, they would we have a hundred percent success rate? Absolutely not. But we'd have, I'd say 50% more than we do today Because the school system is ill-equipped, and I blame the government. I don't blame the teachers. I don't blame the principals. I blame the government for their broke-ass mentality. The pandemic is a prime example that our school system is a giant babysitting service. It's not about educating people on relationships, how to deal with strife and crap that's going on at home. Even though the school may not know what's going on at home, if you prepare the child, what happens? When the child's prepared... Things are that much better, so they could probably cope better when they go home to a tumultuous family environment or tumultuous problems with kids. So again, our school system needs to wake up, and it has to start at the government, but really, in essence, it has to start with the people. We need to stand on a soapbox. We need to be saying to people through a bullhorn, our school system's broken, what the hell is teaching my kid chemistry going to do unless they're going to get into that field? Why are you wasting this much time of their life when we could be teaching them relationship skills, coping mechanisms, budgeting, all the things that life revolves around? And then the rest is, oh, we're going to do a test with you and you, oh, you're interested in this. You told us or this test identifies it. Okay. Do you want to do that? Just because they identify as one thing doesn't mean they should do it. Then guide them that path. Oh, okay, you're taking chemistry. Oh, Dwight, you're good with this. You're taking whatever. You know, know what I'm saying? So the education system needs to, to wake up. Teachers have tried for years. I have a lot of clients that are teachers. They've tried for years to, to invoke change. I've been called into schools, and I've done some training to staff, like whole schools, right? Not the students, but the staff and the administration 
trying to get through to them, they're caught on that hamster wheel. They're stuck there, and they've been stuck there since they were teens themselves, and they propagate and bring that into the school system. Then they, what, pass that on through their own teachings and stuff, right? Yeah, and it's all connected too, right? And I know we talked about this before, but like even the university system, so get out of the public and private schools and elementary and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, for my kids, I know personally, like I'm not trying to educate them or put them any through any kind of school system that's going to push them as the end goal of going to university. Because, you know, this is a whole other topic that we could probably go off on for like another hour here. But, you know, the whole pandemic and what's hit recently too, where people can't go into these universities and now it's all remote learning. Like I've heard stats like there's, I forget the exact numbers, but it's like 100,000 or 50,000 institutions in North America or in the United States and that there might be like 3,000 that will actually survive all of this stuff because the rest of them were just gouging with prices. And people are realizing this. Not only that, but you know, people realize they don't necessarily need the education unless they're going to be a doctor or they're going into the sciences and that type of thing. There's obvious areas where the education of the actual skills is incredibly important. But in today's world where you know everybody wants to be an entrepreneur because it's cool now all of a sudden— if these kind of things aren't being taught, like how to manage money, how to be a leader within a company, how to communicate properly with people, you're going to see a lot of business failures, right? And like these are some of the things that I want to be able to teach my kids. And naturally, they have to dive in and, and fall on their face a little bit. It's part of the learning experience. It's like learning how to surf. Like they're not going to get on a surfboard and, and have it down right away. They got to fall a few times. But it's such an interesting topic and one that, um, you know, maybe we'll revisit on a, on a future interview just for the sake of time, because there's a couple other things that I definitely want to get through with you um, on this conversation here. One of those is um, the whole idea, and this is kind of related to that, it's the whole idea of the concept of luck. So I was listening back to our last conversation, and you told a great story about being at a conference where a guy on stage was talking about luck. and do you want to maybe just share that story? Because I know it's really uh, close to you. Yeah, sure. That was about uh, 1993, 1994, somewhere around there, headed to Salt Lake City, Utah for a conference. Um, some friends invited me and we got on a bus, a bunch of dumb Edmontonians, and we took the bus <laughs> all the way to Salt Lake City instead of flying. But anyway, that being said, we went to this conference and a guy by the name of Dexter Yeager, you can actually research his name. Dexter was standing up on stage and he was talking about, you know, just conversation. And, and he says one of the things that irritated him the most is when the term luck comes up. And it struck a chord with me and it has stuck with me since then. And I repeat it to people all the time because when people say to me, you know, you're lucky and this and that. And, you know, depending on what it is, I'm very polite about it. I'll have a conversation with them. I'll say, well, why do you feel that way? You know, I just try to understand them. But I'll say to them, you know what? A person in my life years ago, I don't mention her name because most people will never remember or look it up. But Dexter stood on stage in front of between 15, 20,000 people in this in this big audit, like uh, arena. And he said, you know, luck is a loser's excuse for a winner's completion. And I sat there and I was dumbfounded. Everybody just went completely silent. There wasn't, you couldn't have heard, you would have heard a pin drop in there with that many people. And he, and he kind of leaned forward and there are big screens too, right? He leaned forward a little bit. Did you hear me? 
And then he said that, and then he says, I'm going to say it again. Luck is a loser's excuse for a winner's completion. Quit telling other people, oh, you're so lucky. You don't know their backstory. You don't know how many years, how many tries, how many failures, which were um, stepping stones to where they are today. And by you saying to people, oh, you're so lucky, you're just proving your ignorance. Remember, and, and I remember him talking about the fact, and I already knew this, so ignorance is not knowing. Stupidity is knowing and still doing. So now after this, if you tell people you're, they're lucky, you're just being stupid. You're not, you're not even ignorant because you need to think about the fact of what they've gone through. What their, you don't know their family dynamics. You don't know their childhood dynamics, what did happen when they grew up. So if they have success. Now, yes, there is opportunities that, like people say, can fall on your lap. But you, you as a person still have to decide to carpe diem, seize the day. You have to decide to take that opportunity. There's no luck involved. Maybe the universe, I'm a God-fearing person, maybe God decided to drop that down to you, but you still, as, as, as a human being, have to decide to take that opportunity, push forward with it, right, and succeed at it. And there's going to be lots of journey in between, a lot of skin, knees, maybe some sleepless nights, a little bit of quiet desperation. How do you fix some of that stuff? That's another conversation. That's associations and, and what you put into your brain and who you hang out with. Yeah, it's like the term overnight success, 10 years in the making, right? I know I know many, like when I started into entrepreneurship, it was a leap, right? I actually, here I have the book, one of the books right here. I'm sure you've probably seen this or read it or heard of it, the E-Myth. Oh, the E-Myth, yeah. I've, I have, you know what, honestly, I've, I've uh, read like an abridged version of it. I've had somebody send me a document and point form about it, but no, I've never actually read that book. Yeah, but the the grounding principle of it is is basically around well, it says right here why most small businesses don't work and what to do about it. Right? It's just it's all about thinking the way that you you know approach your business as opposed to being the operator, the person that's baking the bread. How can you become the manager and then the business owner? And I remember in two thousand and like four five type thing, I was handed this book the first time, and then a friend of mine said, "Hey, there's this internet thing." You should really jump into it. You want to start a website business? And I was like, all right, <laughs> let's go. You know, we didn't have a damn clue what we were doing, but we figured it out. And over the last like 16, 17 years, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned, and the thing that when people ask me, like, what would you do differently? It's exactly what you just said. I would surround myself with more people that are on this same journey with me. And I would also find mentors that have been where I've been, not so that they can tell me what to do, but just so that they can guide my thought process and my belief systems. Because there's no magic formula for success when it comes to starting and running your own business and becoming financially free. It's literally a you know a bunch of small decisions that get made over time. And I know with what you do, you know, in your in your business and your work side of things, I'm sure that's a big part of it when you talk about like financial planning for people and how to prepare for the future. It's like, okay, first of all, you're not going to be financial free by the end of this month. Like it requires habits and consistency and, you know, looking beyond next year of what do you want your life to be in 5, 10, 25 years. And that's again where the relationship I think comes in and why uh, I really admire who you are as a person and uh, you know, even though we've never worked together, I, I understand that you lead with the relationship first, right? And that was one of the other things you said to me in the last conversation was you get to understand the person 
and really know like what their desires and goals are, because that's how you start to shape the plan is around that future version of self, right? As well as current reality. Is that fair to say? No, absolutely. Without bottom line, my industry suffers. Let's real. Let's be real, listeners. Um, most industries suffer because people don't relationship build. They don't understand that the the product or service they offer is the end result. It's not the beginning. It's the end. And the process and journey and path from start to that product or service can be a long, right? It can be tumultuous. It can be stressful for that person. And you lose business because you don't care. You don't ask that person, hey, what what's going on between your six inches? What's happening between you and the wife? Yeah, what's happening between you and your business partners? Because I do coaching with businesses too. What's happening between you and your business partners? What's happening between you and your staff? Like your product, you said your production's down. There's something. So I have those conversations to to draw out of them. Oh, I had this happen in my family life, and then I brought that to work. That might take months to get that out of them, but that's what's happening. In, and, and does it? And it affects that core of your finances. So helping somebody with their finances, if I don't do the rest, the chances of them sticking on the path of what I teach them, if I had to guess, based on the numbers of 19 years of doing this, maybe 10% will actually be self-driven and and motivated enough to continue on the path. Uh, But most people fail. Why? Because they don't come to terms with what's between their mind, right? and their heart, and their emotional well-being, and what's causing all that crap. It can go all the way back to childhood. You would believe the stories I've heard. And I can understand because I've been there, right, in many different ways. And if I ha- if it isn't something that I can relate to, guess what? I've helped a client that's helped me understand it. So I can say, hey, Trevor, brother, I have a client similar to this, and this is what they went through. It's not exactly the same because we're all unique like our fingerprints, but I get it. And this is what we did. So by learning over the 19 years, I helped Trevor. It took maybe, I'm just going to use like 18 months, two years. But because Trevor helped me level up in my mindset and understand maybe I said something wrong and Trevor reacted and I'd ask Trevor, hey, Trevor, brother, I I seen your body language. That's another thing. I, I study body language and human nature. And I'll say, hey, Trevor, what did I say wrong? And I'll learn so that the next time I don't do that same thing because I'm always leveling up and wanting to be the best version of me for you so that you have a higher success level of surviving. And it is about survival because you really, like you mentioned, it's not going to happen in a month. It's it has to take it takes time. It's no different than the old adage. Well, you you gained 100 pounds and you want to lose it in a month. Come on. How long did it take you to gain it? 10 years? Give me a break. It's no different. Your financial life or your six inches of how you think, not just about money, about life, has been indoctrinated into you since you were a young child. Learn behavior. And it takes time. And my industry is broken because they don't do it properly. Yes, those that are listening that are in my industry, that's going to make you butt hurt. Reach out to me. Let's have a conversation. I'm willing to help you level up because I had to admit it. And unless you admit it, you're never going to fix it. And you're not going to be able to fix others. You're going to be a product seller. And that's all you're ever going to be. And you're always going to be chasing that dollar, chasing that dollar, living in quiet desperation yourself, whether or not you want to admit it or not, you are. 
So something just came to my mind here, Dwight, and feel free to run with this if you've never heard of it before. But I did an interview a handful of weeks ago with uh, a guy by the name of Zion Kim, who was uh, a mentor of mine over the last five years. And he, uh, he didn't come up with this quote, but he really leans into it a lot. He says, there's no such thing as business problems, only personal problems that show up as business problems. And I think the same would be said for the financial space. There's no such thing as financial problems, only personal problems that show up as financial problems, right? And it's related to exactly what you said. It's not that you're not making enough money. It's just that you're not, you're not looking at it from the right lens. So you need somebody to help you reframe how you're seeing things, how you're planning your life, how, you know, how you're showing up on a day-to-day basis. And I love that, uh, that part of this conversation. And again, like I say, uh, Dwight, one of the things with my podcast is I'm very intentionally interviewing people that I know that I'll talk to again in the future, maybe three months down the line, six months down the line, because there's always so many spinoff conversations as well as, you know, evolution in the people that I'm even talking to, right? We, we grow, we continue to level up, we show up to Monday meetings and with the intent on being the greatest versions of ourselves. So the way that we see the world changes as well. And I just find that fascinating to uh to do that. And I want to share that with the world. So I got one last round of questions here that are actually all, actually, I have this book here as well. They're all related to this book here, which is, or this concept, which is the one thing. So each one of these questions are related to that topic. So I'm going to fire through them here. Feel free to elaborate as much as you want on the answer. And uh, there's about five of them here. So so the first question is, and I might already know the answer on this, but I'm not going to plant the seed for you. Who is the one person slash mentor that's been the most influential in your life? So all time. So you can go right back to childhood if you want. Most influential person to me was a friend of mine by the name of Terry. We've been friends now since 1989. He was the most influential person in my life. And here's why. 1989, I was unemployed looking through the local newspaper, no internet back then. I'm looking for a job. And I seen this job application and it said, send in a resume, right? To this, no phone number. I sent it in. I got it. And this is the first time I've ever shared this much detail about this. And I ended up getting a phone call. Hi, this is such and such from this company. We'd like you to come in for an interview. And I go in, I get into this secure building off of Jasper Avenue, which, you know, a lot of different businesses are on on Jasper Avenue in Edmonton. And I ended up walking in and I have to go up and I'm I'm looking at this door and there's this little digits on it and it's push this button and it's a camera up there, right? And I'm all of a sudden across the speaker. Hello, can I help you? Oh, I'm, I'm Dwight Heck. I'm here for an interview. Just a second. And they buzz me through and then I'm stuck between this two doors. Then there's another one there, and there and a little camera, a camera and a little a little screen. A person's on there. This lady goes, "Give us a moment," and I'm going, "What the hell's going on?" And I'm trapped. Turn around, I can't open the door. Right? It's just I learned what that type of lock was after the fact. And then they finally buzz me in, and I get escorted through, and I get brought into the the guy that owns this company, and he sits me down and. He's got a $1,000 suit on and he's got all this, he's got the fancy rings and expensive watch. And he said, sit down, nice meeting you, shook my hand first. And he says, you know what? I don't think you're going to be good for this job. And I was just like, what the hell am I here for then? He says, there was something in your resume though, 
that struck a chord. And back then, I typed. It was typed on a typewriter, right? There was no, right? There was no, I didn't have the computer and printer set up. One time I had that, but not to the level that I was broke then. I was a young guy. So he literally said to me, something struck a chord and I got some questions that I want to ask you. And he started asking me all these questions. And I just answered him. I thought, what the hell do I got to lose? My dad always told me, just be straight up, be kind, be blunt. And that's what I was. And he says, okay, I'd think about it. But if I hire you for this job, here's the problem. This monitoring station that you're going to work in is very highly secure. We monitor uh, UL-listed fire systems, jewelry stores. We do all this stuff. Plus, we have security guards we monitor. And majority of the people that are in there are women because they have a higher tolerance level for bullshit than a guy will. And they're going to eat you up and spit you out. But here's the thing. If I do hire you, I'll pull you out of there within six to eight months. And if you make it that long, that'll teach me something about you. And then I'm going to take you out in the industry and I'm going to teach you how to do card lock systems, closed circuit cameras. I'm going to teach you all this stuff. Guess what? Fast forward, I won't go through all of the details. Six, eight months later, I was ready to quit. <laughs> and he pulled, he pulled me out of there and says, okay, you're going to train with me. He'd come out to job sites and he'd be pulling pulling alarm wires and putting up stuff in a $1,000 suit. He, didn't, he wasn't afraid of getting dirty. And he suggests that I get into electronics. So I went to a technical college here called Nate, got my electronics engineering uh, diploma, and he believed in me. He stayed in contact with me. And literally, there was 18 people out of 185 that started with me that graduated. I was one of the 18. And that period of time, too, in that two-year period, I got married and had a kid, too. <laughs> so um, he was just very, he's very supportive. And then fast forward, 2002, he gets a hold of me. He says, hey, I think you'd be good in finance. You could use the help, <laughs> right? Because we were friends, right? <laughs> he says, you could use some help. You're making a six-figure income and you're broke as sin, right? Like, give me a break. You need to use some help, but you're great. He was the guy that, back to the story prior, Told me he says you're great with people. I want to, you know, we're we're gonna find something to teach you or teach you. See, he didn't even live in Edmonton anymore. He'd already moved out to Vancouver, out to the West Coast. And he said, you know, this is what you need to do. And fast forward again from there. So that's how I got started into finance. He reached out to me again in the last few years, and we reconnected. And because of his reconnection, I have I built my Give a Heck brand. Not because of him directly, but indirectly. People don't realize, you see the forest for the trees? He was directly effective as a person that was a mentor and a catalyst of support that gave me confidence to seek out other people in that associations that I talked about. He was the first person, by the way, dial back to 1993, give me how to win friends and influence people. The first three books that I read were because of him, and they're still my favorite three um, magic of thinking big and the five love languages. So him as a mentor, Terry will never, I've tried telling him, but I don't think he understands how much effect he's had in my life. And I would fall on a sword for the dude because, and I try to be that kind of mentor to other people, whether it's indirect, I want to leave an indelible mark on people so that they know, or whether it's conscious or subconscious that I'm always there for them. I'm always going to be there for them. I'm always going to support them. I'm always going to be honest. And Terry was always that way with me. Amazing. Well, he's going to know now because this is going to get, this will be public. (laughs) That was a great story. 
Um, okay, second question is, what is or who is one person or mentor that you would feel is the most influential in your life at this moment? So like right now, somebody that's in your world that you're, you know, growing as a result of. The person right now, and this is going to be kind of an advertisement for him that has made the biggest mark in my life since the beginning of the pandemic, this guy by the name of Tony Watley. Tony has an organization called the 365 Driven Society. Tony literally has helped me think differently, level up differently. He's such a kind person. He's the actual type of mentor that has been through it. He's been he's been through it. The difference between him and I, he's farther in the journey than me, but he's willing to help me collapse time frames. So something that might have taken him, let's say, 10 years, he wants to help me collapse it down to two, three years because you can't go from 10 to one. That doesn't work. There's a process. And the <coughs> excuse me, that process is my six inches, right? <laughs> it's usually always the answer. Right. He's he's just been so influential. I literally have brought so many people into his fold because he has masterminds, he has free groups, he has paid groups, he has masterminds, he has events where I've been to so many conferences, Trevor, in my lifetime. His events are literally capped between 25 to 40 people. He keeps them small so that every speaker that comes and speaks is having breaking bread with you, going out hiking with you. You know, we did yoga together. We've done meditation together. The guy that spoke that's, you know, a millionaire, billionaires or whatever, right next to me. And he keeps them small so that it's relationship intensive. It's designed to create those connections. It's designed for you to not be a dot in a room of a thousand people, 5,000 people. And that's, so he's been the most influential person in my life. Again, Tony Watley, 365 driven. Anybody want to know about him, reach out to me or just Google him. He's been on like over 300 podcast interviews. He's, he's absolutely freaking amazing. And his journey and story will blow your guys' mind. He has a book too called uh, Side Hustle Millionaire. Teaches people how to do and create and be an entrepreneur on the side while they're at their job, which pays their bills, right? So, Cool. Well, I'll make sure to link it up and I may have to ask for an introduction as well. <laughs> Sounds like somebody I need to do an interview with. Oh, dude, he, if you have him on your show, oh my gosh, he is amazing. <laughs> He's, yeah, he just, I love him. He was my first actual interview of my own podcast, right? My first interview was me, my origin, but then he was my first interview. He, 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 he kind of was kind to me. He kind of chewed me up because I was nervous as hell, right? So. <laughs> hey, we all start somewhere. Just got to get started. That's the thing. That's a great one too. So what is uh, one philanthropic cause that means the most to you and why? Oh my goodness. That's a great question. What's Philip, you know, for, for me, I think it would be, oh, this is, I hope I don't cry from it. I think for me, it would be the, the, the children's hospital here. Um, the Stollery's children's hospital, um, your listeners wouldn't know this about me. Maybe the odd person does that's going to listen to this. Um, my granddaughter passed away in 2017. And Stollery's is a world-renowned children's hospital in Edmonton, uh, driven and functioned by the University of Alberta. And I think that would be my biggest driving force because they don't get a lot of funding. Our government is a bunch of asshats. Sorry for the, you can bleep that out if you want. But they, <laughs> no, they, don't, they, don't, they, don't, they don't give them enough money. And they have to constantly beg and do lotteries and charities and donation drives and 
I think that would be my biggest drive to want to help. And I do whatever I can, you know, especially since my granddaughter passed away, I donate on her birthday. I donate money when her anniversary of her death. I donate money at Christmas time. So anything, you know what I mean? Large sums of money, not yet. I wish um, I do what I can. I talk about it all the time because really at the essence, people don't realize not a lot of children die, but enough die where it literally destroys the core value of the family system. And I look at what happened to my daughter and her and her uh, common law and what it's done to them, what it's done to all of us. And, you know, so it's not just donating money so they have medical equipment, which is Number one, it's donating money so that they have enough people to do the emotional support portion of it. And that's and the government doesn't do that on either portions where I talked about with equipment or the emotional support parts. So for me, that would be something that, you know, if I was to let's say we'll use the lottery. If I won 70 million tomorrow on Lotto Max, man, they'd be getting a big chunk of that. Right. And it wouldn't be to have a wing named after me. Would that be cool? Sure, I guess. <laughs> right. But it would be about the fact that I know there's families out there right now, right at this moment, that are suffering, that are crying, that their hearts are breaking, their child's about to pass away, or their child has passed away. And maybe a medical saving piece of equipment that wasn't available because of lack of funding could have saved that child. Maybe an extra psychiatrist, psychologist, or support network could have help them through that tumultuous journey. I spent, Trevor, for my granddaughter for eight and a half months, except for the odd day that I just couldn't make it. I went up and spent hours a day at the hospital with her and my daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with me. I know. And this, again, like I said to you, I appreciate your vulnerability and your willingness to just speak the truth because when I was first asked that question on a podcast, I actually paused because I was like, I don't give back financially. Am I a bad person? What like all of these thoughts going through my head, right? And and the money side of it, you even said, like the person said to me, like, you know, you don't have to give much to actually make a difference. I know you aspire to win the lottery and donate a whole bunch of money and have your name on a building. But even 50 bucks can go a long ways to these causes. Even just the fact that you care enough to actually reach out and lend your support and say that you're there, you know, you can grow over time. So for me, it was the children's hospitals as well, because we had we had two preterm birth losses that were, you know, it's not the same as losing a child at like, say, four, five, six years old. Like, I think about that constantly and I'm like, oh, it'd be devastating, you know? But for us, it was very traumatic, you know? And then both of our kids were born early too, six weeks and 16 weeks early. So we wow. spent tons that's, of time. That's hard, that's hard, especially premature babies at 16 weeks. That's, yeah, that's really heart-wrenching. Yeah, and that, you know, that and that's become a part of my story that for a while I was very um, angry about, right? Like the fact that we lost one of our kids at basically the exact same preterm as when our son was born where he was 16 weeks early and he survived. And so now I give to BC Children's Hospital and to Canuck Place, which is uh, the hospice, right? So kind of extreme opposites on that. One is there to help save these kids. Um, and uh, the other one is where it's inevitable that these kids probably won't survive. And it's there, it's there to support the families as they go through that experience, right? So 
I didn't know that about you, but I feel more connected to you even uh, now after I do know your side of that story too. So I appreciate you sharing that. You're welcome. A couple more questions for you here, Dwight. What is one thing that you're most grateful for right now? I'm going to make it a two-part. <sighs> My faith in humanity which is directly related to God and my family. Love it. Yeah. You, you don't even more, have to elaborate. Just, um, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate, again, just the fact of who you are and how you show up, man. Um, we could talk about it more on the next episode that we do. <laughs> All right. So next question for you. What is the one thing that you're most curious about right now? So something that you want to know more about, something that you're a student of and you're learning. I think the thing that I'm most interested in figuring out, it's going to sound weird because it's it's directly about getting my message out with my Give a Heck brand, is understanding how SEO, like your integration and, and being searchable, understanding YouTube, understanding Google, the two largest search engines, just stuff like that. And I've got different courses which I've been muddling through and I have some mentors helping me. Why do I want all that? It, it, you know, some people will say it's because they want to make more money. For me, it's about making sure my message reaches that next one person. I'm not looking, people say, I want to reach tens of thousands. I'm going to, you hear people spout, I'm going to, I want to reach a million people. Sure, I want to do all that. But guess where it all starts? The one. I need to figure out my message. I need to, and, Right. One thing. That's why this theme is well, in at the end and, of all my interviews. And, well, exactly. And then, and I right now, I'm, I've got a guy I got to reach out to shortly. Here, we're working on a funnel so that I can drive this book out more. Right? It's become a bestseller, but you know, unless you work on it, it falls off the the rails just like any book or anything. Right? If you don't promote stuff, and it's because I want to get that book into one more person's hands, because that book talks about a lot of what we've some of the things we've talked about. I talk about my origins. I talk about how all the way up to the fact of living life on purpose. And you know what I mean? It's not finance. It's very little finance. It's about the human condition. It's about working with ourselves. And so that's what I'm working on. I want to learn how to do all that stuff with others. That's another thing, listeners. Quit trying to be the expert of everything and the master of none. Do what you do well. Surround yourself with mentors. Spend a little money, right, if you have to. If not, there's tons of YouTube. Spend Instead of watching a junk TV show or movie, pick up a book, listen to a YouTube uh, video, figure it out, right? Only you can decide that you were tired of living in quicksand and sinking, right? Only you can decide that's enough. Love it. Last question. What is one thing that scares you right now that you know you must face with bravery? Oh, the fact that I've taken a lot of focus off of my financial business because through the pandemic, my business pretty much, it didn't completely dry up, but it, it, it shrunk quite a bit because people aren't spending, people aren't doing planning, people aren't wanting to share and be vulnerable. It's harder over Zoom. I think the thing that bothers me the most is the fear of taking too much away from that business and, and diving into promoting my brand to give a heck, my podcast, my book, everything so that I can literally make a difference, not just 
one family at a time on a global basis, that kind of scares me because I've put so much of that energy into my life and, and money. I've invested a ton of money doing this process that I'll pull myself too far away from my finance business and it'll shrivel up and go away. All that 19 years and all those people that I've helped, they're still going to be there. But maybe I'm too focused on building something globally that I miss something locally if that makes sense. And I'm not listening and keeping my ear to the track to ensure that a family locally isn't left behind. Yeah. This has been an awesome conversation, Dwight. So last, last question here is how can people connect with you? How can they find out more about you, your book, all that kind of stuff? <clears throat> One place I created, I had a friend of mine, great person. She created uh, my website last year and I got her created in a portal design so that you wouldn't have to look a million places to find out about anything that you just mentioned. Just go to giveaheck.com. You'll see a book portal. You'll see a podcast portal. You'll see a finance portal. You'll literally see it all. You can click on it. You can reach out to me through it. You can book an appointment through me. It'll click to the Calendly. You can book an intro appointment with me, right? I don't bite or at least they don't bite hard, according to certain people. But anyway, you know, so yeah, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Just give a heck.com. And obviously, some people are nervous to do that. Reach out to Trevor. Trevor can connect us. No problem. Unbelievable. So I will make sure that that's all linked up in all of our show notes and the description and stuff where this video is going to be posted as well. And um, yeah, I just appreciate you, Dwight. The um, um, people come into your world for a reason. And, and part of the reason I joined the mentorship Mondays is because I had a relationship with Di Manuel, who is one of the co-founders of that group. And I just knew that somebody like him and his character would bring a group of people that I knew that I would really relate to and that I would that would constantly challenge me in my own beliefs and, you know, commit me to being. How did you meet Di? I met Di. Yeah, through another friend back in like 2010 that was, you know, that I was working with at the time. And and again, it was the same thing. It was kind of like a circle of friends, you know, like the, we created a small group of people that got together on, I think it was every Tuesday morning or something like that in Vancouver. And yeah, just built a relationship. I used to go to to Dai's Sunday Funday uh, workouts and stuff because it was close to where we used to live in Burnaby. And yeah, it's it's important to surround yourself with people. That's there's a trickle effect that happens there, right? You, you surround yourself with one, and I interviewed him, brother. He was on my podcast. He reached out to me and said, "Hey, I'd like to be on your show." We had a discovery call, and because I just was starting out, and I said, "Okay," and you know, we chatted, and I fell in love with the guy. Had him on my podcast, and. Yeah, at the end of the podcast, he said, hey, you need to come check out Mentorship Monday. And I said, when is when is it? He says, this coming up Monday. I'll send you the link. And I showed up and I haven't left. <laughs> yep. And I'll make sure to link that up as well in the show notes. And and Di and, and Nick are both guys that I'll be reaching out to as well to have conversations because these kind of topics need to be talked about, right? And, and the spaces that they've created are incredibly important, especially in today's world. We're so connected and yet at the same time, we're so disconnected, right? So having a place that you can just show up, be yourself, have other people hold you high, have other people hold space for you when you're feeling down, it's critical. It's absolutely critical. If we have an apocalyptic event happen, nobody better in our court than the people from Mentorship Monday. Most of the people I've interviewed on my podcast just those that circle, that association, man, like 
I know I have people have my back. I just do. Right. So it's great. You brought that up. Yes. All right, Dwight. Thanks so much. And like I say, we will obviously be seeing more of each other and we'll do this again in the near future as well. And we'll, we'll dig into all of those other topics that we saw that we could go off on for hours and hours. So, uh, really appreciate you. Thank you for your vulnerability, your honesty, the truth that you spoke about here today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on brother. I appreciate you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Trevor Turnbull Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please consider subscribing on my YouTube channel and on your favorite podcast platform and leave me a review. I'd love to hear from you. Now, until next time, remember, today is a beautiful day of opportunity. Trust that you're exactly where you're supposed to be right now. So be grateful, be curious, and be brave. 